0: What is up, y'all? Welcome to another episode of The Best Life Podcast, and I'm your host, Jill Coleman. I'm a co-host, and I'm here today doing a solo episode. Uh, We will catch Danny on the next one. So today, um, I want to chat a little bit about how to have hard conversations, how to have honest conversations, how to have hard conversations. Um, I feel like this has definitely been a theme with The Best Life. We talk a lot about relationships, boundaries, communication, things like that uh, within the context of really. Relationships. And I wanted to talk about this today because um, at JillFit, we've talked about this a little bit in some of the more businessy entrepreneurial episodes. But in the past at JillFit, um, I think you guys know that I ended up bringing on uh, more team members. So we've actually expanded the team at JillFit. And right now we have like seven additional team members that we've hired in the last 16, 18 months, and which has required me to sort of become a different leader. And one of the reasons why I did not want to take on team members at JillFit for as long as I didn't was because um, I didn't want to have to manage anybody. That was a big thing for me is I wanted to have a very lean business. I wanted to not have to have anyone report to me. I wanted everyone to be self-sufficient. And basically push came to shove. The pandemic happened and JillFit sort of, you know, the services providing at JillFit became a lot more in demand and I just needed help. And I was at a place where I was ready for it. I knew that it was going to be also an additional challenge for me and a brand new skill set for me to not only be you know, a coach and a content creator and all those kind of things, but instead now be a manager and be a leader. And so one of the things that obviously that entails is being able to manage people a lot of times comes down to... Honest and open communication. I was actually having a call this morning with a client of mine who has some co coaches working in her business. And, you know, she's having a little bit of an issue with one of the co coaches. And, but she's a little bit scared. She told me she's a little bit scared of confrontation, like most of us are. And so we got into this conversation around how to address some of the things with different people in your life. And of course, this extends into relationships as well. And so when I thought about this, you know, I thought about, as women especially because most of our listeners are women um that sometimes we have a sensitivity a lot of us including myself that when we engage in a hard conversation or we you know request Something to be different, or we state our personal preferences, maybe to our partner, especially, we have a sensitivity that we're coming off as a nag. And I don't know about you, but I hate that feeling, right? Like, oh, like, am I coming off? Because that's the thing you see, right? I mean, we all look at the sort of the cultural norms, this whole like, everybody loves Raymond. If you ever watch that television show, um, You always see the wife being the one who's like, you need to do this, take out the trash. Like that's sort of like the cultural norm. And then there's always like the dude who's kind of, you know, like the stupid, dumb, like husband who's like, what? And it's kind of like clueless. And it's like a funny joke. But I think, you know, that stereotype is built on the sort of, again, it's a stereotype where women have a lot of demands or women are needy or women are nags and the men are just out here trying to live their life. And, you know, and this woman's trying to rein them in and trying to like keep them from living and whatever it is, right? So those are sort of the storylines. Now, I think if you're listening to this podcast, chances are you are interested in personal development. You're interested in sort of leveling up your relationships. And at the end of the day, we really can't have quality relationships if we don't have quality communication. And communication is a skill. This is something that I learned, especially going through my own separation, my own divorce and dealing with my ex-husband's infidelity was like literally learning how to have these conversations. And I had talked about it in the first uh, couple of episodes that we've done. If you have not listened to episodes two and three of the podcast, Danny and I talked a lot about that transformation and those months and those years of trying to navigate challenges in our marriages and not really, frankly, being all that good at them. In fact, I think a lot of the lack of communication between my ex-husband and I was some some of the reasons why um, you know, he went outside the marriage or we weren't able to, both of us, in fact, felt betrayed by different things, of course. Um, but I think a lot of I think we assumed that we were communicating, especially if you have a great relationship, you just think, oh, like, yeah, we're on the same page all the time. And sometimes we don't have the hard conversations because either we don't think they need to be had or we get scared because we're like, well, I don't want to rock the boat or, well, I don't want to ruffle any feathers or, well, it's okay. And we sort of talk ourselves off the ledge. But what happens over time is that those things that don't get said sort of erode. So then when do you know when the time is to have a hard conversation about something. Now I will preface this because I think a lot of us, it's easy for us as humans, To find things that we want to be different. You know, we're all human and we all have a way in which we like things to be done, especially if you are a perfectionist or recovering perfectionist or a type A person or tend to have more control issues. Um, I certainly consider myself a sort of recovering perfectionist. And I think without knowing it growing up, I just had a way that I wanted things done. And for a long time, I wanted everyone in my life to do the things the way that I would do them. And so I think first and foremost, you have to realize that whoever it is that you're either with, and it's a relationship capacity, a romantic relationship, or even a friendship, or maybe it's a, like I'm talking about with my team member, someone who works for me or I work with, is that they're their own autonomous being. And so at the end of the day, we can't expect people to do things exactly like we would. I don't think that you know, having a personal preference warrants someone necessarily changing. So I think the first thing to distinguish is between something that would be a deal breaker and something that's a non-negotiable for you versus something that's just simply a personal preference. And if you have a personal preference of how things should be done, you can certainly do those things that way. But ask yourself, does my, does my partner need to do things this way? And oftentimes we see this in relationships. It's this sort of death by a thousand paper cut scenario where someone is just feeling extremely micromanaged. And it's not someone's fault, by the way. It's just like, sometimes we don't know how to communicate. So we're like always just, I don't want to say nagging, but like little things. Oh, can you do this? Can you take this out? Can you do this? I prefer this. And, and so over time, if we're constantly bringing things up, the other person might just feel like I can't do anything right. And of course, we don't want that for them, but sometimes we get ourselves into that situation and we're like, ah, how do we get this out? How do we get ourselves out of this situation? And and because no one wants to be micromanaged, by the way, and, and this is obviously something in business for me, I don't want to be micromanaged. That's literally why I own my own business. And I think Danny does too. Both of us have these huge autonomy buttons but I also don't want to have to micromanage other people. So when I say, I want you to be self-sufficient, I do, but I also want you to take some ownership. I do want you to act with integrity. I do want you to be honest and be transparent and do all of those things. So you have to know if it's time to have a conversation, just run it through the filter of, is this a non-negotiable for me? And if it is fine, and you need to have that conversation. If it's a deal breaker and you need to have the conversation, But if it's just a personal preference, because but I can live with someone else doing it a little bit different, I think that's the first thing to ask yourself is like, because no one, by the way, no one's going to do it like you would, and they shouldn't have to because they're their own autonomous human. So when we think about these quote unquote non-negotiables, ask yourself, what are like three, four, maybe five things that I absolutely need in my relationship? So what does that look like? And so, you know, I've, I've definitely thought about this in my romantic relationship. And I think for me, I definitely, um, and by the way, this sort of is the same thing with with my team members too, is honest communication. Um, and we'll talk a little more about that in a second, how to make that maybe less scary. Uh, for me, a big core value for me in relationships is loyalty. So for example, if I'm not present somewhere, do you have my back? That's a really important thing for me. It's like, and I, and I filter all my own stuff through that too. If you say that we're friends, if you say we're in a relationship, you say we're, you know, in a romantic relationship, I expect that you have my back, even when I'm not there that you're respecting me, even when I'm not there. So loyalty is a huge one. And I think that's probably, you know, came out of obviously being betrayed in my marriage. So loyalty is a big one for me. Um, inclusion is huge for me. That's just, I think that Enneagram eight in me just like wants to make sure, like I want to be included in stuff. I don't, I have a really big autonomy button. And if I feel like I'm being lied to, that's huge for me is like, I don't have all the information. That's a huge trigger for me. So inclusion might just look like, Hey, just give me a heads up of what you're doing. I'm never going to be mad about it or whatever, but like include me in your plans, include me in what you're thinking, include me in, you know, like if I have a close relationship, I expect that sort of level of inclusion, especially if it's my romantic partner. And then the last thing is quality time quality time for me, that's my love language. My number one love language is quality time. And so, you know, specifically, I'll give you guys an example. In my romantic relationship, my partner is a very like, he's a, and he's an athlete and he does a lot of activities. He plays beach volleyball. He plays in like three basketball leagues. He's really into his own fitness. Um, He works a 24 hour shift. So he's a firefighter paramedic. And um, he, you know, also likes to surf and he has his own friends and stuff like that. And so, for me, quality time is key. I don't need a lot of time, but I need dedicated time. And if I feel like he is not including me in his plans, or he's not taking as much initiative to create plans with me as he does with his volleyball buddies, that is a trigger for me. And so we've talked about that in terms of like what, you know, I need and what that might look like. So I usually tell him like, cool, I don't need to see you all day, but I, you know, would love to have dedicated time whenever you can. And of course I'm busy too. So it's not like I'm sitting around waiting for him to make time. It's like, we both have real, we are both busy, but we both need to make it a priority to set aside time. And we, and of course we do that, but that's a key need for me. So deciding what your three to five non-negotiables are is really important because not everything can be really important. Because again, it's that death by a thousand paper cut scenario. Not everything can be super important. You need to leave room for people to be themselves and to express themselves naturally in the way that feels good for them and feels natural and authentic for them without being micromanaged, right? They need a space to be that person. And in a relationship, we should be able to be ourselves. And the other person should, even if it's not the same way they would do it, they still need to leave space for us to be ourselves. So, this goes both ways. If you're in a relationship where you feel like, quote unquote, you can't do anything right, then this might be an opportunity for you to look at that and go, like, yeah, why do I constantly feel like I'm being micromanaged or I'm doing something wrong? Or, you know, or am I just being super sensitive? And this person is not a nag, but I'm just feeling sensitive about it. Why am I feeling sensitive? Because maybe on some level I'm insecure about how I'm doing something. Like, so look at your own responses as well but you have to give people in your life room to be themselves, room to show up authentically, whatever that looks like. Now, that doesn't mean that you have to be a doormat and it doesn't mean that everything's just okay all the time. And you're like this easy, you know, super chill. And I think as women, sometimes we feel pressure to be that like super laid back, go with the flow. like. But inside we're like, it's just boiling over and like, we want to say something, but we're trying to be the cool girl. We're trying to be the chill girl. We're trying to be that's like super laid back. Nothing bothers me. But at the end of the day, it's okay to have something bother you. It's okay to have a preference. It's okay to state your preferences clearly. So when it comes to, and I think, you know, dealing with a romantic partner or having conversation with a romantic partner might be a little bit different than I'm sort of dealing with my team, because when it comes to team, uh, you know, I can say things like, Hey, we messed up. You know, we, we messed up. We were supposed to do this and we did this instead. And at JillFit, we've certainly had our share of, of blunders. There's been some growing pains. The business has done extremely well with the team. And I don't, I would never not want the team, but it does bring an extra set of challenges because I'm not micromanaging anything, everything anymore. Like I have to outsource, I have to give other people autonomy in the business, I have to trust that they're going to follow through. And I think this is why a lot of people don't hire additional employees or team members because they go, well, I don't trust that someone can do it as well as I can. And let me tell you from firsthand experience, not everyone will do it how you do it. In fact, they might actually mess up where you wouldn't. And this is where the risk comes in. You have, it's like a risk analysis, right? So for example, I'll give you an example. We had a launch last week and I write, I sort of with my, I have someone who's like a project manager slash um I guess, like, you know, chief operating officer that helps me write some of my emails. So we're doing a launch and he's sort of helping me write some of the emails. I'm writing some of the emails myself. And then we come together and we have this set of emails that we're sending out, but I don't queue up the emails. He takes the email and then he, you know, puts it into the email autoresponder and sends it out and queues it up and all that kind of stuff. I don't manage that process. To me, that's not my job anymore. That used to be my job. But now that we have someone who does that, I don't do it anymore. So we sent out an email on Sunday. We sent out a couple of emails on Sunday. And the first email, I think we sent out three emails, the first email that morning, the link didn't work. So if someone tried to go to the sales page, the link didn't work. Now, if I'm queuing it up, like I did for 10 years before I hired someone, I test all those links. I literally send the test email to myself. I check the links to make sure that they go and they work and they go to the right place. And then that's it. But now that I have someone else doing that, there's a chance that they're going to mess up the link. Like, Luckily, we had other links in the email. Luckily, we had three emails going out that day. Luckily, I was posting on social, whatever. But that's something that we have to address. And it's hard because it's such a small thing. It's hard because it's a small thing, right? So you're like, well, just one thing, right? But we hadn't had the conversation of, hey, so one of the things I would really love for you to do is make sure just send a test email to yourself. I know it takes an extra couple of minutes, but it will just give me peace of mind and also make sure like extra sure, like doubly sure. But I wouldn't have known to have that conversation until this thing happened. And luckily, like it wasn't an, it wasn't like, didn't make or break the launch and it wasn't a big deal, but I had to say, you know, can we please? And I, and I, and so the way I approached it was, you know, Hey, I'm wondering, are you sending a test email out beforehand? And he was like, well, no, I haven't before, but I definitely will now. I'm like, cool. Let's definitely do that. And that's it. That's that's the whole conversation. But I can't let that go because I'm trying to be cool or I'm trying to be laid back. I'm like, this is, even though it's a small thing, it is a big thing and it's easy to fix. And so, you know, asking, I think asking uh, clarifying questions, getting curious, um, if I'm noticing that someone on my team is constantly maybe being late for a meeting or constantly missing a meeting or something like that, I might just say, hey, are you okay? not in like an accusatory way, but like, you know, is everything okay? I feel like some. I feel like you're a little bit distracted. Is there anything I can do to help? So when I say that, I'm sort of indirectly saying like, is there a reason why you are showing up late to the meeting? And it's not every time, right? And that's what's hard about it. Sometimes if it's not every time, you're like, ah, it's one time. But in my experience, it, I, I can't let all the small things, like at least in the business... Go. And so instead of accusing and and yelling or, you know, reprimanding, oftentimes I will just instead get curious and ask questions. Are you okay? How's this going for you? Are you stressed out? How are you handling this? In like a super open, and when they tell me, I can't take it personally, right? I can't get defensive. I can't take it personally. I need to just let them talk. And so a lot of these things can extend into our personal relationships because we don't want to be patronizing to our partner. We don't want to be like, you know, are you okay? Is there something going on? Like, I mean, we can, but sometimes that comes off a little patronizing. But could we also just stay curious? So you might ask questions like, are you know, are you distracted? How's you know, how how are things going on? Or how are you feeling about this? That doesn't feel as accusatory or like they're doing something wrong. I think especially, and I'll just make a huge generalization. I think especially men have a sensitivity that they are doing something wrong. Or, you know, I, th- I know that that comes up for my partner sometimes where, you know, he feels like he's, and I, I always tend to say to him, anytime we have a conversation, I say, hey, like, I'm not saying I'm right. I'm just saying, like, this is how I see things, and I'm open to seeing things differently. So having that open and honest dialogue makes the person like there's not a right, especially in relationships, there's not a right and a wrong, especially when it's a romantic relationship, it's not a right and a wrong. There's just what you agree on as a couple. So, for example, even infidelity isn't quote unquote wrong if you made an agreement to have an open relationship. You know, so you have once you kind of lay the rules for the relationship or the guidelines for the relationship. There's no sort of right and wrong. It's just like, okay, this is my preference and this is my preference. How do those match up? What does that look like? So, but oftentimes because I am a little bit more practiced at communication, I'm able to actually verbalize my emotions. I'm able to verbalize what's going on with me easier than maybe he is. And so maybe that can feel a little bit, I don't want to say threatening, but sometimes it can feel like I'm right. Like I'm like, I'm almost in a debate when I'm not, you know? So I think staying curious and having open, dialogue and saying, like, I'm not saying I'm right. I'm just saying, this is how it feels for me. How does it feel for you? Or is that not correct? Or if I'm not right, I would love to know how I'm like going wrong or how this, whatever the story is that I'm telling myself how that's not true. So that's actually something that Danny's brought up a few times in the podcast from Brene Brown. Whenever you sort of want to get into these, maybe stickier conversations, instead of accusing the person of doing something wrong or something bad, or even making an assumption, right? Sometimes you make an assumption and the person feels attacked or they feel um, threatened. You could say, I wanna share, can I share with you like the story I'm telling myself so you can tell me if I'm right or not. And so when you say, here's the story I'm telling myself, I'm telling myself that, because you make, make so many plans to do your sports and you play volleyball and you do basketball and all this kind of stuff, what I'm feeling in this story I'm telling myself is that I'm not important to you because you don't take the same initiative to make dinner plans with me or to go for a walk with me. And so he might be like, oh, I didn't even think about that. And of course not. Of course you're extremely important to me. What does that look like? What, is, what does us spending quality time look like? So I think when you say, this is the story I'm telling myself, you can state your truth because that is your truth. That's how you see it. But it also feels less threatening to the person receiving it because they go, oh, that's totally not. So you're not saying they're wrong or they're bad. You're just saying, here's the story I'm telling myself about this. Can you correct me if I'm wrong? And that gives them the space to say if that's not their truth, because that's often the case, right? Is oftentimes you guys are just seeing things in a different lens. We're each always seeing it through our own sensitivities, our own insecurities. So I might make something mean, you know, I'm not important, or I might make something mean that I'm not a priority when in his eyes, he is making me a priority because he's doing something over here and I'm not seeing that. And so oftentimes it's just a mismatch in perception or it's a mismatched lens, but you have to be able to... Have that conversation to clear the air. And so I want to share with you guys a quick framework that I created a a couple of years ago called the three S's of an honest conversation. I taught this uh, years ago when I was um, going through a lot of my own stuff. I did like a little free course called Anti Fragile. And I taught this framework years ago. I think it's like 2016. And it's the three S's of how to have an honest conversation. And so these are sort of the steps, if you want to think about it this way, because I think sometimes we Want to have a conversation, but we let it go, we let it go, we let it go. And then by the time we get to actually having the conversation, we're already like emotionally charged because we maybe talk shit or maybe we gossip about it, we tell someone else. And then by the time we get to actually telling the actual person, we're already like, we're feeling so self righteous and we're feeling so like emotionally triggered that we just like go into it. So the first S actually is just set the stage. Setting the stage is where you come into the conversation in more of like a calm manner. So instead of just, and it's hard because sometimes we don't have conversations when we're calm because we're like, everything's good. I don't need to have this conversation right now because everything's good. It's only in those moments where we get like sort of emotionally hijacked that we have the conversation we've been wanting to have for months. So asking yourself to kind of get your mind right, get sort of emotionally solid so that you can have the conversation. So setting the stage, don't come into the honest conversation from a place of like anger, from emotion. And, you know, oftentimes if you choose to address it when shit is like hitting the fan, it's so hard to have that conversation because you're emotionally charged. And then the other person comes back because now they're emotionally charged and they're responding to your energy, not maybe not what you're saying, but to your energy. So stay clear and stay open and come to the table clinically and sort of like, also preempting the conversation. So one of the things that I do to set the stage is I usually tell the person things I'm scared of. So I might say something like, you know, I'm, I didn't like, I was hesitant to bring this up because I actually don't want to be perceived as a nag. And I'm really sensitive to that. And, you know, I'm worried that you're going to have an emotional reaction. I'm worried that you're not going to take this the right way. I'm worried that I'm going to hurt your feelings or, you know, I'm just worried about bringing this up to you, but I want to, but I care about you. And I care about this relationship, which is why I don't want to just sweep it under the rug. I actually do want to have this conversation. So when you share your, when you vulnerably share that you're nervous, um, or you vulnerably share that you are feeling sensitive because you don't want to be perceived as an ag, we don't want to upset them. It sort of lowers the barrier to entry for them. It sort of sets them up from the get-go to be more understanding, to receive what you're going to say. It's almost like you're saying, you know, But, you know, I know this is this kind of feels scary for me, but I did decide to tell you anyway, because I know you can handle it. It's a way to sort of subtly tell them that you expect them to be able to handle it. And you're like, you know, I wasn't going to tell you, but I do. I know that you can hold it down. So that's why I want to share it with you. You're almost like preempting and you're setting it up so that they're able to receive the information a little bit more easily because you said, I know you can handle it. And so that the first S is set the stage. So giving all that information ahead of time. The second S is state your truth. State your truth. So this is where you risk that honesty. You are transparent um, with how you see things, what your intentions are. You also include how much maybe you struggled with the decision to share with them because you know it's hard on everybody. And remember, this this is state your truth. It doesn't have to be their truth realize it's your truth. It's not even universal truth, right? Like we, don't, No one knows that. We have our perception, they have their perception. All we're in charge of is our side of the street. So stating your truth as openly and as honestly and as transparently as you possibly can, remember that's different than like bomb drop, what I consider to be bomb dropping honesty. Bomb dropping honesty is like, you know, here I am, like deal with it, like, you know, or fuck off. Or like, you know, it just has this, this feeling of like, it's almost like a challenge. It's like, it's manipulative. It's like, let me see if you can handle me. Like, let me see if you can handle this. Like, we're not trying to test them. This isn't really about manipulating. It's not about testing. It's about, not about controlling the other person's response. It's literally just trying to state your truth as you see it. So this is where, can I share with you the the story I'm telling myself. That, That line might come in handy when you state your truth. Cause then you're just saying, hey, this isn't the truth, this is just my truth. Or this is how I see things, I'm open to being wrong, or I'm open to the fact that this might not be the truth. So when you say that, again, it just leaves space for them to, to have a say as well. It's not just saying, you're not just saying that you're right. And that's what's hard, right? Because there's some ego involved in this, right? Where we want to be right, or we want to tell them they're wrong, or whatever. We want that self righteousness. That's why I don't like coming to the conversation in an emotional place. So the second S is state your truth, is when you rip the bandit off and you say the thing that you're scared to say. And this does feel risky, right? Because they might have a response, which brings me to the last S, which is stick it out. Now, sticking it out, this is probably the scariest part. So it's easy to it's easier to tell your truth, right? But then they get to have a response. This is where you endure the fallout. This is where you allow the person to have their experience. This is where you allow them to feel however they're going to feel. This is where you give them the benefit of the doubt and you trust them to handle it all. And you trust yourself to navigate whatever happens. And that's what's hard. But here's the thing. Your honesty is a service to them. Remember I told you like one of my biggest, um, one of my, biggest core values is inclusion. So when you state your truth to someone else or they state your truth to them, this is why I never get like super heightened emotionally when someone tells me their truth. Cause I'm just like, I, I appreciate inclusion. I can't have both. And it's not that I don't have that emotional hit. Like I, like most people do, I'm human, but Sticking it out is really where the magic happens because a lot of people think about it. A lot of people have arguments, a lot of people have, you know, heightened emotions or they have these more confrontational conversations, but they don't stick it out. Instead, they just get mad, they storm off, they give people a silent treatment, whatever. Sticking it out is allowing for the other person to have their full response. This is actually honestly the most magical part of the three steps because this is where you start to feel like all of this is worth it, right? This is the part where many of us don't ever get to because we're so busy, like managing the other person's emotions. So for example, if they have an emotion, that's an anger, um, an angry emotion or a hurt emotion, we want to take it away. Or we're like, oh, just kidding. I mean, how many of us have us ever said like, oh, just pretend I said, didn't pretend I didn't say anything, right? Like We, we often at times have that, that knee-jerk reaction to say, you know what, just forget I said anything because we don't like that negative emotion. We don't like the hurt. We don't like the pain. We don't like the anger. We don't like the, you know, but you, the other person deserves to have their experience of it. So just because you are truthful doesn't mean they have to be like complicit. They don't have to be like, yep, sounds good. Right. <laughs> like that would be amazing, but we actually don't want that. We want to get to the bottom of how they see things too. And if they don't agree with you, they're going to have a response. And if it might be anger, it might be hurt. It might be disappointment. It might be sadness. And it's okay. That's part of this process. That's part of communication is allowing for them to have the full experience. And that's scary, right? Because we think, oh, what if they leave? What if they don't want to stick it out, right? We have all these things, but what else are you going to do? Not talk? I mean, what are you going to not have the conversation? And to me, this is really the part of the process is this is the most transformational part of the process, because the more you sort of have this experience of letting the other, letting the situation breathe, letting the other person have their response, the, the less, um, I don't want to say personally you take it, but the more clinically you're, you're able to stay. So for example, Danny and I talk, we say this phrase a lot, hold space, hold space for someone else. That's what you're doing here. You're not getting emotionally invested in their response. So if they get angry or they feel hurt or they feel sad or they feel whatever they're going to feel, you don't have to make that mean you're a bad person. You don't need to make it mean that you did something wrong either. You can just be like, cool, that's their experience of this. And I love them and I want to allow for them to have their full experience. And you see over time that you can handle their negative emotions and you trying to stay as clinical as you possibly can during that time is holding space for them to have their full experience. And to me, that's what this is all about. If I say I love someone, I want them to have their experience. I'm not trying to take it away. I'm not trying to manipulate. I'm not trying to manage it. And that's what's hard because we want to manage it. We don't like the negative emotions. Okay. Just forget I said anything. It's like, no, you said something and you said something because it's on your mind. And you said something because it's really important to you. So you can't, don't take that back. You need to have that full experience. Again, this is so much easier said than done. Like I'm giving you these three steps and you're like, yeah, Jill, but this is, this is real people talking. So in a perfect world, it would be like, yes, set the stage, state your truth, stick it out. But of course, we're emotional beings and there's going to be some back and forth. Maybe this is just one conversation you have in a series of conversations. But I think over time, and this is my experience, especially going through my separation and divorce was I hated these conversations, but we were also still trying to work on the marriage. So we had to have these conversations. And there were times where I would leave and storm out. He would leave and storm out. We'd come back. We'd talk about it again. We'd cry. We would do whatever, but we hung in there, both of us committed to the, to the communication and as a result of having all of those conversations, while we're, we're not together anymore, we have more, we probably trust each other more now. And that's ironic given infidelity, but we probably trust each other more now as a result of having those conversations because we know we can trust each other to have the honesty. And this is all like, this is a trust trigger. You know, if my partner comes to me and he says, you know, I want to talk to you about something and this is hard for me to share. He's literally going against his, like the ease of the relationship. So I know that I can trust him because he feels that he, even if he's scared, he's still gonna come to me. And so when I see stuff like that, I don't wanna get mad. In fact, I wanna hold space for that because I want to encourage that behavior, even if I might not like it, even if I don't agree maybe, but I wanna encourage the open dialogue. So I do check my emotions and it's not that I don't get that maybe ego hit or that hit to be defensive or I wanna defend myself. But allowing for him to state his truth is a gift. And I also want that gift extended to me. I want that courtesy extended to me. So of course, the first step here is just trusting yourself to handle it. But if there's something that you need to say, then don't come to the conversation in a self-righteous way, come in an open way. And then all you can expect is to state your truth. That's it. You can't manipulate their response. You can't change their response. You can't control their response you have to hold space for it. And you don't need to be, by the way, again, you don't need to be a martyr. You don't need to doormat, but you do have to state your truth. Don't apologize for stating your truth. You can also say, I'm open to how you see things. If you see things different, I'm open to that. I'm open to hearing your side of the story. I'm open to hearing what's going through your head, right? But you have to be able to be as clinical as possible because as soon as you start now getting emotionally hijacked yourself and then all of a sudden, maybe the conversation goes sideways, which is why I said sometimes maybe this is the, the first one in a series of conversations. Maybe the first conversation is not going to be complete. I wish that everything would be like tied up with like a pretty bow, but we're dealing with humans and we're dealing with emotions and we're dealing with egos, So it's important to, again, try to stay as clinical as you possibly can. But, you know, the good news with doing something like this, with doing this process more and more and more, is that not only do you come to trust the people on your team or the people in your life or your relationship even more, because you, you know, I don't know, I felt like my ex-husband, we went through battle together. Like We came on the other side, better people, more honest, more, uh, you know, communicative, more um, vulnerable, more transparent, more integrous and that's really what these conversations do it's like going to batting practice but for communication and i think oftentimes because we're humans and we talk we know how to speak we think we're we're good at communication totally different skill set so you can feel something inside but not be able to communicate it to your partner how many of us have had that experience where we're like I know it's something, like something's not sitting right. Something's like bothering me, but I don't know why it is. And I don't know what it is. And I'm not ready to talk about it yet. But at some point you get to the point where you're like, yeah, that is, I'm feeling sensitive around this, or I'm feeling insecure around this, or I'm feeling embarrassed around this. You know, it's one of the things I tell Keith, not a lot, but like oftentimes if I have a response, it's be it's like, I'm like embarrassed that I had that response, or I'm embarrassed that I'm feeling insecure. I'm embarrassed that I'm, you know, feeling sensitive. So instead of double, doubling down and defending and defending, and like deflecting blame, I just literally say, I'm just like embarrassed. Cause I'm feeling insecure. Like just say that it almost just, it, it evens the playing field, right? You're sharing your vulnerability with someone and you know, they're, Oftentimes not going to come over the top because of that. In fact, it'll probably dissipate some of the intensity of the conversation if you share vulnerably how you're feeling. I'm embarrassed. I'm insecure. I'm being I'm sensitive about this for some reason. I don't know why I'm trying to figure that out. That's honest. And I think it does dissolve a lot of the emotional charge in the situation if you're able to say that. So anyway, hopefully this is helpful for you guys. Remember the three S's. The first is, of course, set the stage. That's where you share that you're a little bit scared to talk about this. You state your truth as clearly as you possibly can. Again, it's not the truth. It's your truth. And then stick it out, which is giving them the the space to have their own full range response without you trying to manage it. Again, that last part, that definitely is the hardest piece of it. But the more you practice this, the easier I promise that it does become. And, um, you know, this is really important. Of course, these are two kind of con- different conversations applied to both romantic relationships and sort of what I'm doing in my team. Now, as a, a leader or, as a, team or a, bo- a team member a boss or whatever, you know, I can definitely be like, look, <laughs> I'm, I'm the head and I have a vision for the company. Whereas I don't know if I could say that in my relationship works, because the relationship it's you know, it's like we're a team but in my business, I'm like, I'm the visionary. Like I know where we're headed. I'm, I have the vision. I'm enrolling people in the vision. It's my vision. So it's not that it's my way or the highway, but it's like, I also, I am the boss around here, but in my relationship, I'm obviously not the boss. In fact, we have to create the relationship both of us want together. And that requires some compromise. Now it's not that I can't hear suggestions from my team and I definitely sort of need their feedback and I will always honor that. But at the end of the day, like I make the decisions of the business, right? The high level decision. So it's a little bit of a different dynamic, but hopefully you can pull and extrapolate a little bit of this conversation to whatever relationship thing that you have going on. Hopefully that's helpful for you guys. We will uh, get back with Danny on the next episode. And thank you guys for the reviews lately. We've been having some great reviews on Apple by podcast. So if you have not left us a review, would really appreciate it. Um, We have some great ones in there and we absolutely love reading those. And we also love that they are a service to other people looking for a great podcast on relationships and personal development to get some insight into what we do here and how we come across and all of that good stuff. So thank you guys so much for being here for your time and attention. And we will see you on the next episode. That's it. I'll talk to you soon, guys. Bye.